Imagine being trapped in a farmhouse late at night, as others with you claim to have seen monsters. You spend hours shooting at every shadow you see out the windows. That's exactly what happened to two families in Hopkinsville, Kentucky on a summer night in 1955. The monsters are described as unusually small, silver, and with claws for hands. What's the true story behind this alleged encounter with these mysterious entities? Welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad to have you back here at Killing Missing Hidden. As always, I'm your host and your old buddy Brad, former criminal defense attorney extraordinaire, at least in my opinion. If you're new here, welcome. We're a friendly lot, except for uh, Uncle Wayne there in the corner. He's, he's a bit handsy. I hope all is well in your world and you're ready to enjoy another tale from our archives. If you like what we're doing here, please keep continuing to share our program with your friends. Leave us a nice five-star rating on your favorite provider. And maybe consider sending us a check for $25,000 so we can start construction on the Killin' Missing Hidden Museum and Day Spa. A couple of quick announcements before we get going. Don't normally do this, but I, I wanted to put these up front for a change. If you want to be part of our Listener Stories episode, you got to get me your story before December 11th. That's just a few days away. We'll take anything that's related to true crime, paranormal, that sort of stuff, as long as it ain't an obvious lie. We'd love to have as many stories as possible, so if you're on the fence, this is your sign from the universe to send in your yarn. Second announcement. Recently learned that our little show here ranks in the top 5%, according to the number of downloads, of all the shows on our hosting platform. That's about 80,000 active podcasts. And Listen Notes, which is kind of like the Nielsen ratings of podcasts, or that's what they call themselves, ranks Killing Missing Hidden as among the most popular podcasts in the world, specifically in the top 1.5% out of 1,832,347 listed podcasts. So yes, I am tooting my own horn, but it's you guys that gave me the horn to toot. So I just wanted to say thank you all very much. It's crazy that a goofy-sounding guy like me can sit down behind a microphone and start a podcast and have so many folks tune in to listen each week. I've truly been humbled, and, you know, humbling an attorney is a heck of an accomplishment. All right, well, my biggest complaint about most podcasts is that the host just prattle on rather than start with the story. So I'll show it up so we can jump into our tale of horror for today. Since it takes place in rural Kentucky, I'll try to be a bit more Southern. On the evening of August 21st, 1955, five adults and seven children arrived at the sheriff's office in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, claiming that small alien-like creatures from a spaceship were attacking their farmhouse. Billy Ray Taylor's farmhouse, to be specific, though the Sutton family was visiting him that evening. The story they told to the sheriff was that Billy Ray had left the house around 7 p.m. to fetch some water. Minutes later, he returned without the water, but instead with the look of a man who had just seen death. He claimed that while he was by the well, Billy Ray had seen this big, bright circle coming to rest in the gully over yonder. 
There weren't no meteor or shooting star or even a crashing airplane. While he tried to explain the situation to the lot in his house, the Sutton's dog began pitching a fit, snarling, barking, and growling like it was a great war beast to be feared, but then just a sudden cowered under the porch. That dog knew something bad was a-coming. Billy Ray and the patriarch of the Sutton clan, Elmer, decided they needed to get control of the situation, so they each grabbed a shotgun and slowly wandered into nearby woods. It wasn't long before the source of the dog's fear became apparent. The woods were filled with this odd, eerie green glow, like, like something from a movie. And both men saw this childlike creature dance through the woods in this backlight. It was short, standing maybe three foot tall, and quick, making it hard for the men to get a clear view. When it finally did halt, they became wrapped in terror. This creature was silvery, with long, ape-like arms bobbling wildly in the air as the beast charged directly at the pair. Now Elmer did what any good country-raised boy would do. He shot the thing. But there was a problem. That blast did nothing to slow down the creature. Despite the fact that both men heard the pellets hit, now it sounded like they hit a metal bucket, but it definitely hit. It did cause the beast to do a flip in the air, after which it disappeared into the shadows. Now, Billy Ray and Elmer smartly took the opportunity to dart back to the farmhouse. I locked up all the doors, barred the windows, started saying their prayers. But the monster stayed out there. They saw it peeking in through the windows. Elmer's boy, J.C., took a shot of his own, pulling out a rifle and putting the round straight through the window. Billy Ray and Elmer knew that J.C. couldn't have missed from that distance, so they went out the front door to check on this assumed kill. But that decision proved to be a mistake. As they stalked the night around the edge of the house, Billy Ray was grabbed by a clawed hand coming from the roof, wrapping tightly round his hair. He jerked himself free and drew down on his assailant, only to see this gremlin creature dashing across his roof. Elmer then yelped in surprise when he noticed the second critter up in the trees. Again he took a shot, and again he somehow missed. So doing some sort of fancy flip this time, the monster just jumped down from its perch and floated to the ground. That's right, I said it floated. When it touched earth, it vanished, into the shadow, instantly. Again, Billy Ray and Elmer counted what few blessings they had at this point and barricaded themselves back in the farmhouse with the rest of their kinfolk. This game continued for several more hours now. The creatures would appear, shots would be fired, and the shadows would engulf the farmhouse antagonists. It was as if these creatures were playing a game and enjoyed all the mayhem they were causing. The Taylors and Suttons finally decided that the assault was not likely to end anytime soon, and they determined they must escape that house to ensure their own safety. So the two families raced to their respective vehicles. They made it out of the property safely and then raced to the sheriff's office. When the two families finished telling their story, the average person would expect the sheriff just to laugh. But the sheer collective fear and the panic the families displayed convinced the sheriff that this weren't no story born from bourbon. He decided to accept the Taylors and Sudden's offer to go back to the Taylors' farmhouse. He also brought uh, four city police folks with him and five state troopers, along with three of his own deputies that were around and Another four MPs from the nearby Army Ford. 
kind of understandable when you have a family claiming to have fired dozens of shotgun and rifle rounds into the night. Now, fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on your goals here, the creatures were gone by the time they arrived back at the house. The sheriff and his posse poked around for a spell, but found no evidence there had ever been signs of any mischief other than the multiple bullet holes riddling the farmhouse. However, after the law left, the little monsters returned. Again, the families returned to the sheriff's office. Somehow by this time, despite it being so early in the morning, word had gotten around town and in the media. It was allegedly even popping up on the Air Force's radar. The sheriff, not one to be taken for a ride, brought the families in and had them describe the creatures to them in detail. By now, of course, they had seen enough of the little aliens to be able to give a proper description, at least in the sheriff's mind. Here's what they came up with. Like we mentioned earlier, these critters were silver, with unusually long arms. They also had big old ears, skinny legs, and yellow eyes. Though not including the official description, from the first reports we have to assume that the hands were claw-like too. The creatures walked with an odd gait. Rather than taking steps, they sort of pivoted to move around, kind of like if they had no knee or hip joints, if you can imagine such a thing. Maybe like a uh, penguin with longer legs. As weird as all this sounds, the family, each member of them, totally uniform in their description of this creature. Well, naturally, the media had a field day with this story. Of course, this wasn't nothing more than the drunken ramblings of some country bumpkins, you know. Ignoring the descriptions given by the two families, several media outlets went on, gave the creatures pointed ears and green skin, and then they adjusted the height of the creatures as, as needed, as, as it fit their story. Fortunately, this was the only reported experience by the Taylors or Suttons. And let me stress the word reported. Tales of these goblins have continued for years, but the Taylors and Suttons never spoke a word of them again. Might be they were too shamed and wanted to stay out of the spotlight until they were put back into the earth. Naturally, a story like this can't exist without some theories popping up, so let's go through some of these ideas. Now, supporters of the story note that the Air Force should never admit to investigating an alien encounter. Further, they note that this case is well documented. I mean, you've got over a dozen witnesses here. And those witnesses are consistent in their description of the creatures. Also, the sheriff found the story to be convincing and noted how scared the two families were and how much support he brought in just to investigate the scene. Of course, skeptics seemed to outnumber the believers. We got to start off here with the Air Force because they gave the best explanation for any alien or cryptid I've ever heard. And all the credit goes to Major John Albert because there needs to be an author to go with this tale. He said that the proclaimed creatures were not aliens or goblins. No, sir. The culprits were, in fact, monkeys. Monkeys that had been painted silver and had escaped from a traveling circus. Yes, escaped monkeys painted silver. Now, were there any reports of uh, circuses traveling in the area at this time? Nope. It happened that any escaped monkeys were roaming the countryside during this period of time? Nope. 
Were these little metallic-looking primates ever seen alive or dead in the area again? Nope. Shockingly, people didn't buy this clearly well-reasoned and peer-reviewed explanation. Even skeptics of the story claim the Air Force's little story here is easily the most ridiculous part of this legend. Now, psychologists Rodney Schmaltz and Scott Lillenfield reached the conclusion that the goblins were, in fact, great horned owls. Professional skeptic, if that is such a thing, Joe Nickel, agrees with this conclusion. He said the eyes of the great horned owl glow yellow in the dark, and the birds fly silently and tend to be unusually aggressive in protecting their nests. Plus, the talons could easily be confused for claws. Further, there were some meteor sightings that night, which could explain whatever Billy Ray saw that scared him so bad at the beginning of this tale. The owl theory has also been championed by other researchers, such as author Brian Dunning and UFOologist Renaud Lissat. Another UFOlogist, Jerome Clark, claimed that the eerie glow that was reported was likely due to foxfire, which is a bioluminescent fungus that grows on decaying wood. Now Clark claims to have examined the Taylor's property and noticed that there was some foxfire building up along the fence at the edge of the Taylor's property. Clark also determined to his satisfaction that the Air Force never visited with the Taylors or Sutton, so any reports to the contrary are suspect. Now, I found one theory that was really interesting, and it's one that you don't see mentioned that often if you look into this tale. It's that the CIA did it. This is a theory propounded by H.P. Alibera Jr.'s book, A Terrible Mistake. The, book of the, the bulk of this book focuses on Dr. Frank Olson, who, if you'll recall, we talked about in our very first episode, and the CIA's history of experiments in chemical and biological warfare. Alibera discussed that the CIA, through their MK Ultra mind control experiments, may have been involved in the Betty and Barney Hill abduction of 1961, the Pascagoula, Mississippi alien incident of 1973, which we also covered back in episode 28, and might have been connected to this very affair. Though the details are very sparse, there's some evidence the CIA sent at least one agent to this part of Kentucky a year later in 1956. And there are apparently hints sprinkled out in various classified and unclassified reports that MKUltra tried to influence the Taylor and Sutton family's brains as part of an experiment. So one last theory you see is kind of sprinkled throughout the internet that's a good one. It's that these creatures weren't aliens, as most people think. They're really goblins. See, Kentucky is full of caves. And some people think there are tunnels that lead to a world full of subterranean humanoid creatures. I wouldn't argue with someone describing these things as goblins, but the theory doesn't seem to have a ton of factual support. But the first season of the documentary series Hellier kind of covers the goblin reports a bit. Well, I mean, it calls itself a documentary series. I, I, it kind of strikes me as rather scripted. So what do we think? Well, I think it's a fun story, but I don't find it to be the most compelling alien-slash-cryptid encounter we've ever seen. But there's enough here to give me pause. 
I do have to note, of course, there were some adult beverages being consumed during the evening before these things appeared. I don't think that necessarily discounts what these two families experienced, but it could impact the reliability of what they witnessed. And you know, once Billy Ray and Elmore came back in the house and were shaken and started telling what they saw, that would have a great influence on the other family members. You know, you get the kids and the women folk all worked up about these floating goblins, and what else are they going to see when they when a shadow darts across the window? Having said all this, I also don't fully buy into any of the other theories we've read about here. These weren't owls, all right? I mean, country folk know owls. They don't work in teams to hunt, much less lay siege to a household in an effort to harass 12 humans. Yeah, they're territorial, but if you draw the ire of one, that's all you're going to be dealing with is that one. They do have a pretty intimidating warning hiss, too, and that's something that's omitted from these stories. So even if you want to buy the owl theory, you've got to overcome all those holes. Plus, it doesn't explain all the strangeness that was also going on. The Firefox part of the story won't hunt for me either. Billy Ray would have been aware of whatever glow the fungus could have been producing since it was growing on his own fence. And he found that the glow was significant and noteworthy to him, again, whether actually there or not. I don't think Firefox would have been significant to Billy Ray if he saw it every night. So it wouldn't have been reported to the sheriff, in my opinion. The CIA theory. I mean, I won't put much past the CIA, but all we know is that an agent appeared about a year later on speculation that it's related to this case. Plus, why would the government pick out a family in the middle of rural Kentucky to experiment on when they have tons of employees that they've been shown to experiment on with or without consent throughout time? I mean... Humans are lazy, government workers are even lazy as far as human goes, say that as one, and whatever magic silver monkey hallucination juice they were working on could have been tested in any government facility. That's my uninformed thought, at least. Now, as far as whether we're dealing with aliens or goblins, I need to jump off topic for a bit. 450 miles away in Flatwood, West Virginia, there's a cryptid known as the Flatwoods Monster. It first appeared on the scene three years before the Taylors and Suttons ran into that sheriff's office. I won't go into the entire story, but the Flatwoods Monster first appeared following an apparent plane crash, an unnatural light in the sky that came down to Earth. A mom, a National Guardsman, and several children ran to where the plane crashed, but they didn't find no plane. Instead, they found the Flatwoods Monster. Now, this fella, he was ten foot tall, had a head shaped like a spade on a playing card, and his eyes glowed red. He also had this weird greenish aura. His body was mostly dark black. He had claw-like hands, and he hovered off the ground instead of walking. Of course, skeptics explain that this monster was just a barn owl and the crashing plane was just a meteor. Now, wait a minute. That's not just any suspect who's saying that. That's our old buddy Jim Nickel, professional skeptic, who developed this theory as well. This guy must think owls are responsible for everything. 
So why am I telling you the story? I mean, it's weird, but why bother y'all with it? Well, the similarities are unusual to me. You have a strange sighting in the sky, followed by the appearance of creepy creatures that hover, have claws, and are seen only a couple years apart from each other. Now, there's states away. West Virginia and Kentucky border each other, but the Appalachian Mountains have a bunch of caves and tunnels, and some folks think that there may be ways to traverse one state to the other through these tunnels. So maybe our little critters are baby flatwood monsters? Now, this, this begs the question in my mind, you know, would you rather fight one horse-sized silver monkey creature or ten monkey-sized horses um, or something like that? I mean, all the pieces of the joke are there. Y'all just have to IQ it together yourself. By the by, if you want to learn more about this Flatwoods monster, the newest episode from a podcast called Paranormal Thoughts covers this creature. It's hosted by a really cool Australian guy who likes weird stuff like we do. So check it out if you're interested in the story, or maybe check it out if you just did guys with Australian accents. Paranormal Thoughts. Go. Go find it. But wait till we're done here. Priorities. So what is it, Brad? I can hear you screaming all the way until your throats are raw, and I appreciate the passion. But I don't like to reach conclusions on these sorts of cases, as you know. I leave that to your sexy little brains to figure out. Though I will say the goblin theory is a lot more fun because it lends itself to a hollow earth theory, which opens up a whole world of wonderful stories. So that's going to wrap up our entertainment for today. It's, it's been a hot minute since we've covered something creepy, huh? I guess that uh, Missing 411 Revisit episode back in early October was the last time we did something like this. It's kind of, kind of a failure on my half, and I'm sorry, but, you know, I've been trying to work through all these listener requests, and folks ain't requesting spooky stuff. They're requesting murderers and missing persons, so here we are. But I'll, I'll work on this. I'll try to get more fun, spooky stories into the rotation, all right? Okay, now, as, as you know, like I said at the beginning, we got our listener stories episode coming up next week. Next week. So it's time for you to email me. Info at kmhpodcast.com. Anything related to true crime. Maybe you're caught up in a robbery. Maybe your coworker tried to pull an office space-style scheme and got caught. Things like that are fair game. Or anything related to the paranormal. Did you get probed by an alien? Find a bunch of creepy stairs in the woods? Or you know what? We'll take a combination of both. Maybe you were held at gunpoint by a shadow person. Obviously, we're looking for highbrow stuff. Now, again, we need those stories by December 11th, so please don't wait any longer. You've sat on your butts long enough. Send those stories in now. All right. As you know, we've declared an episode is not official until we have a palate cleanser. So here's what Mr. Eli, curator of all jokes, has for us this week. Knock, knock. Who's there? Control freak. Control freak who? No, no, say it like this. Control freak who? All right, we're done. Thank you to Eli for that one. I know most of y'all bolt after the palate cleanser, but for those who stick around to the bitter end, you're appreciated. 
I'll apologize if this episode doesn't sound as good as the rest, and I know it's a little on the short side, but uh, my wife was in an accident this weekend, and it's a minor miracle I was able to get this episode out at all. So I'm just plum worn out from this weekend, but I didn't want to break our streak we have going. Uh, Guys, if you would, please keep supporting our show by sharing it. We're totally independent, which means we're totally dependent on y'all. And I sang y'all's praises at the beginning, and I truly mean it. If we could keep it going, we'll keep growing, and good things will happen to the show so we can do more fun giveaways and things like that. All right, everybody be good. Have a wonderful day, wonderful week, wonderful rest of the month. Let's make it to 2021. You know, keep being a good, loving person and keep being a good, loving listener. We appreciate y'all. Truly, Brad out. Thank you for listening to Killing, Missing, Hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at kmhpodcast.com.